right. Straighten up my table there. Come on, that, that's weak. What do I mean? <laughs> you're not clapping for me. You're just excited about being here, right? That's not much excitement. You know, I am, um, I, I don't know about you. This has been a hard series. You know, there, there's been some real exciting, hopefully encouraging studies that we've done and then some real challenging ones. Um, some folks that maybe, uh, I mean, some of the studies that folks maybe really had a difficult time with, but it's been good to look at a prophet from the Old Testament and learn a little bit about him. You know, this weekend, week number five of the series, what do you do when you get blindsided by life? Right? And I know with all the campuses, the folks watching on television, watching online, that some of you have been blindsided. And here's what I mean. You, the person who said I do has walked in and said I don't anymore. I don't love you. You didn't see it coming. You're kind of blindsided by it. And you hurt. You're here maybe. And you're here by yourself because your spouse just won't come. They said they would when you got married. But they did for a few weeks or months maybe. But now you're walking after God by yourself. And that's frustrating. Maybe it's your kids, and they keep making decisions that are hurting their lives, and you've talked to them, and you've, you know, taken them to see this person, you begged them to come to church, all these things, but they still, and it just hurts, because you feel powerless to do anything about it. Or maybe you're, went into the doctor, it's just a normal, right, you go to the doctor, but the doctor found something, and you're waiting to discover whether or not what they found is just something or whether or not what they found is something. And there's that nervousness, you know, there's that tension. What do you do? I mean, what, what makes it different for those of us who are Christ followers than those of us who, who have yet to, to trust him? We're still investigating whether God's who he said he was. Well, if you pull out that outline, that's really what Jeremiah is going to teach us this weekend. And I was thinking as I was preparing this week that it is like being blindsided. And so I, I need a few volunteers. All right. So we need one from this side over. Ma'am, would you help me out? All right. Thank you so much. And of course, we need one. It's, I always like it. Everybody looks right. All right. Sir, would you help me? You got some good coffee there. Great looking beard. I wish I could grow one like that. Give it up for our volunteers. All right. They're going to help us out today. We've got uh, uh, some good-looking uh, folks here. Now, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. All right, give it up to for them one more time. Now that you see who they are. There you go. Now, it's, now you see how it's, they're really not that excited, are they, to be here. Okay, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Please put on the blindfold, all right? Just go ahead and put on that blindfold. Both of you. There you go. All right. All right. Can you see? They put the mic up there to me. Sorry. Can you see? No. No? Can you see, ma'am? No. All right. Tell us your name, ma'am. Kristen. Kristen. All right, sir. Tell us your name. Joshua. Joshua. All right. So they both have their blindfolds on. That's a little weird, isn't it, to be, isn't it amazing how you can be in a room full of people, be watched on camera by thousands of people, and yet you put on a blindfold and you feel alone. 
right? Even animals, right? To calm animals down, what do you do? Put on a blindfold. Last service, we had a, a young lady who was very nervous about being on stage. And it was amazing how she calmed down once the blindfold came on. Now, I believe that when you get blindsided by life, it feels a lot like wearing a blindfold. Here's what I mean. You could see, you, had a, you could see the future, and then you lost your job, and now it's like you're blind. What are you going to do? How are you going to pay the bills? How are you going to take care of your family? How are you going to go to college? You, it has impacted your sight. You thought you were going to spend forever with this person. You saw yourself going on vacations, maybe having children, buying a house, a picket fence, but they walked away. And now you, 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 don't, you can't see, right? It, I think it feels a lot like wearing a blindfold. The doctor's given you some news. You were wondering, you could see what you're going to do in your 50s and 60s and 70s, and now you don't know if a decade from now you'll even be here. And that impacts the way that you, you see and in that, there's a loneliness. It's like wearing these blindfolds. They're in a room full of thousands of people. But if you've ever put on a blindfold, and the reason they give us a blindfold on an airplane to be able to sleep is because you feel isolated. You feel alone. And that's the way some of you feel here today. You're in a room of thousands of people, and yet it feels like you're all by yourself dealing with the divorce you're dealing with, dealing with the cancerous disease you're dealing with. Dealing with the lost job that now you're dealing with. And you hear, it seems like everybody else's life's going great, but not, not yours. I think it's a lot like being like these folks, blindfolded. And then what are you expected to do? Now that the way you see the whole world has changed, what are you expected to do? You're expected to live life. It's kind of like turning around and asking these guys, okay, you guys have your blindfold on. And in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to keep your blindfolds on and go back to your seat. All right? Now, remember, there are stairs. There are a few obstacles between here and there. But not to worry. You have my voice, my comforting voice. You have someone standing beside you that, that may, you know, tap you, give you a little bit of direction. And then I'm going to ask, would some of you folks come up here and just stand, all right, to make sure? Come on, help me out, all right? I promise nothing bad's going to happen. All you got to do is stand. And should he fall, catch him. All right. All right. He's going to walk right around that way. Okay. And we need some folks. Can some of you folks come on up here? All right. All, all you got to do is stand. That's all right. Thank you. All right. So nothing to worry about. Some of them look like they might be able to catch you. I'm not sure about some of them. All right. Well, we've got people lined up around here. And uh, you've got my voice and you've got a little tap on the, on the shoulder or the side. So, sir, we'll start with you. Would you just go back to your seat? Uh, just kind of, now watch the ledge. You got steps in front of you. Now you're going to step up. No, you can't, you can't have your hands on him the whole time. That's cheating. All right. There's another step. Be careful. All right. Just keep walking. All right. All right. You can take your blindfold off. Go back to your seat. Give him a hand. All right. All right, ma'am, let's see if you can make it back to your seat. If you would, just turn around and take off. Listen to my voice. Turn, turn, walk, walk, watch step. Step up. Very good. Step up. Step up. Watch, watch. Okay, you're getting close to the edge over here on the right, so watch that. Keep going. you got the step straight in front of you. If you fall, it's only about six feet. 
All right, you can take the blindfold off and go back to your seat. Give her a hand, all right? Now, what does that have to do with what we're going to talk about? Well, I hope that it will become clear. But what I would point out to you is that the only way for them to get back to their seats with the blindfolds on was to have faith in my word, in the touch of the person beside them, and in the safety of someone catching them. All right? Now, if you look at your outline, here's the question that we're going to answer. What do you do when life is hard? What do you do when life is hard? And if you have been with us these last five studies, you know that for Jeremiah, life was hard. Especially if you've been in a small group or a connect group. And if you haven't, man, I encourage you, just try it. We've got folks right out in the lobby. They're at the Easter, you know, sign where you're getting information for Easter. And they'll, they'll tell you about the groups. Now, if you're like me, I don't really like them, okay? I'm just being honest. And the reason I don't like them is, first of all, I'm shy. So being in a small group of people makes me nervous. Secondly, I'm busy. I got lots of things to do. And thirdly, I'm tired, okay? And, and, and so I'm, but I'm in two groups. I'm in a uh, Thursday morning at 7.30 a.m., and I'm at a, in a 3.30 group on Sundays before our, our 5.05 service. Now, I will be honest with you. Most of the time, when I'm getting, you know, it's time to go to the, to this, the group, I don't go, woo. Most of the time, I'm thinking, man, shoot. I did say I'd be there, didn't I? I am leading it, aren't I? You know, I, 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 I'm busy. I'm tired. But I will, I will say this to you. I never leave the group with that mindset. Because God either uses somebody to encourage me or he uses me to encourage somebody. I don't always hate going to the group. I mean, there are times when I'm really excited about it. But a lot of the time, if I'm honest, I'm not looking forward to it. But I never, I'm always glad that I go because I need people in my life, even though my skin doesn't think that. So give it a try. Just give it a try. I know you're busy, I know you're tired, some of you are shy. Some of you are nervous about Christian people. Just, just give it a try, all right, out there. Listen, most of our pastors lead a group, so maybe you'd like to get to know one of the pastors a little better. So just tell them out there at the table, hey, is so-and-so leading a group? I'd, I'd like to get to know them a little bit better. And they'll tell you what time and where, and, and you can go and, and be a part of it. But Jeremiah definitely was going through a difficult time. Let me read one verse to you. We're going to study chapter 32 today. It says, this was also the 18th year of the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, if you haven't been here, remember, Jeremiah was called at a very young age to be a prophet to the nation. To be a prophet means to tell them God's word. The problem was is that what God told Jeremiah to tell them wasn't positive. It wasn't a you-can-do-it type message. Those are fun to teach. It was, a, if you don't repent, God's going to destroy this city. And he's going to allow a foreign nation to take you captive. That was the message that God gave Jeremiah. And when you read the book of Jeremiah, God over and over again said, and this is the message of the Lord that Jeremiah was to share. And it's a difficult message to hear. And he was the lone voice. We learned last week that as a result of this message, he ended up what? In stocks. And, and at the city gates, he got beat because of it. Well, here in chapter 32, it tells us that Nebuchadnezzar was the king, right? 
And verse 2, Jerusalem was then under siege. So what does that mean? The Babylonians were just outside the city gates. They were waiting for the people of Jerusalem to do what? Starve to death. So you can imagine everybody's scared to death inside of Jerusalem. Food is scarce, and what food there is is incredibly expensive. That's the environment in which Jeremiah is living. And then it goes on and it says, and if that's not enough, Jeremiah was imprisoned in the courtyard of the guard of the royal palace. So Jeremiah's in jail. If food was scarce for free people, how much food do you think he got? Yeah. I mean, it had to be tough. And people were mad at him. They were making fun of him. Right? I think they blamed Jeremiah because he was the lone voice that said the Babylonians were coming and now they were here. It reminds me when my kids were little, we'd go to some place where there was a pool. And I would tell them, I'd say, Tyler, Carson, Bailey, don't run. It's wet and you will fall. You know what they did? Ran. And I'd tell them again, you're going to fall. Do not run. And they would run. And you know what they would do? Fall. But being the incredible dad that I am, you know what I would do when they fell? I would get up and I would run to them in order to pick them up from their fall and take care of them. But as I would approach them, they would be angry. And do you know who they'd be angry with? Me. The one who warned them. <laughs> the one who was trying to rescue them. They blame me that their knee was scratched. And I think that's exactly what they're doing to Jeremiah. It's like, you're the cause. And so he is in a really, really tough place, a really, really difficult thing. So what do you do? I think there are three things that when we get blindfolded that we need to do. And the first thing is to express our frustration. If we would have asked the folks up here that were blindfolded what they were feeling is they had to go back to their seat. If we were to ask them to live the next week with the blindfolds on, there would be a certain amount of frustration maybe even anger, at who? Me, for making them wear the blindfold. And I think that if we're honest, there are folks right here in this auditorium, watching online, watching on television, who are angry with God. Because if God is God, then why is your marriage falling apart? Why do you have this disease? Why your kids who were raised, you know, in the best way you knew how, making the decisions they're making? Why? It's frustrating. Do you even make you anger? And do you hold those things in? A fearful to let God know how you're really feeling? Or do you express them? Well, what did Jeremiah do? He expressed them. Jeremiah chapter 20. We studied this a few weeks ago. He said, oh, that I had died in my mother's womb. That her body had been my grave. Why was I even born? My entire life has been filled with trouble, sorrow, and shame. Right? And he said a lot more than that if you read the whole chapter like we did a few weeks ago. Man, I, I wish I'd never been born. God, you tricked me. He says what he's feeling. He's not the only one. Job, maybe you've heard of the story of Job. He lost everything. Not because he was doing wrong. That's what his friend said. He lost his health. He lost his family. They all died. He lost his home. He lost his profession. He lost his animal. He lost everything. And his good old friend said, you must have really ticked God off. And Job was like, no. But Job got frustrated with God. Look at what he says. Oh, God, you've grounded me down and devastated my family. God hates me. And he angrily tears me apart. He snaps his teeth at me. And if you read the whole chapter, you realize that he's angry with God. Now, I put a quote 
all right, in your outline, my quote, and, and I want you to see this. We express our frustration and anger not because it is right. God wants us to be able to have peace in the midst of difficulty. But when we don't, we express it not because it's right, but because God can handle it. Here's what I mean. If you're angry at God, does God know it? Of course he does. The Bible says over and over and gives illustration of times where God knew the hearts of those he was talking to. So just by not expressing it, you're not keeping it from God. So if you truly are angry that God would allow this to happen or that God would create this or whatever, however you might express it, then it is important to release that to him because if you hold it in, what did I put in, in, in your little outline here? God can handle it, and we can't learn from it if we don't. See, if you suppress it, you'll never learn from it. It is your expression of frustration that allows you to see who we really are. See, God is not concerned with you doing something as much as he's concerned with you being something. Because if you are truly being something, then what you do will come out of that. In other words, do you know what God got most mad about in the Old Testament and the New Testament? You know what made him the most, what he got the most ticked off about? Hypocrites. Hypocrisy. Us claiming, and I'm not, us claiming to be something that we're not. So to pretend not to be angry when we really are keeps us from ever truly being not angry. Because you haven't dealt with it. You've suppressed it. Jeremiah, Elijah, Job, they all expressed it in, in so that they could learn something from it. And, and let me just share again, what, what did they learn? Well, the first thing Jeremiah learned was that he couldn't quit. We talked about this last week, remember? In Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9, after he expressed all this anger, he says, but if I say, I'll never mention the Lord or speak his name. In other words, if Jeremiah says, if I say I'm going to quit... I'm done with this God stuff. I'm done with being a prophet. His word burns in my heart like a fire. It's like a fire in my bones. I'm worn out trying to hold it in. What did Jeremiah learn? He learned he couldn't give up. He couldn't quit. Why? Because when he said, I'm quitting, he couldn't quit because deep down inside of him, there was a truth that said, you can quit. But the happiness you're looking for will not be found on the other side of quitting. The true peace is only discovered in Christ. That truth was so ingrained in him that even when he wanted to quit, he couldn't. But he would have never discovered that had he not been honest. I, I know in my life, there are times I get frustrated. I get frustrated with God. I don't understand why after all these years of trying to do what I think God wants me to do that certain things aren't happening. And I, it's like I, I want to give up, do something different, be a coach. That's what I planned on being anyways when I was younger. You know? But even when I say that, I can't. And the only reason I can is because while I can go and coach, coaching is not going to provide for me what I'm trying to uh, have by doing it. That truth is in me. And because that truth is in me, I don't quit, not because of my willpower, not because of some feeling that I have, but because of some truth that has been um, 
put deep within my heart. And it is in expressing what I'm truly feeling that I discover that about myself, just as Jeremiah did and just as you will. The next thing that I put there is that we, Job and Mary both were reminded through their frustration of how big God was. We looked at how Job, we looked at one verse, Job said it over and over again, how frustrated he was with God. Then in chapter 38, God responds to Job. And I love, I love what Job says. It says, and now finally God answered Job from the eye of a violent storm. He said, Job, why do you confuse the issue? Why do you talk without knowing what you're talking about? What's he talking? He says, perspective. He says, Job, you talk as if you know everything. Then he goes on. He said, pull yourself together, Job. Up on your feet. Stand tall. Because I got some questions for you, and I want some straight answers. Were you there when I created the earth, Job? Tell me, since you know so much, who decided on the earth's size? Certainly you'll know that. Who came up with the blueprints and the measurements? What is he saying? He's, he's saying, Job, you're finite and I'm infinite. Your perspective, Job, is different than mine. You have forgotten how big I am. If you ever watch my vlog, all right, and you go back on my vlog to um, when Steph and I got to go to the Macy's Day Parade, one of the things I did on the vlog is I took the camera and I put it at what Stephanie could see because I'm a, I'm a little over 6'4". Stephanie is not by a long ways, okay? She, she's, she's not incredibly tall. And so I took the camera, and I put it at her eye level, and I said, this is Stephanie's perspective of the Macy's Day Parade. And it was a blue coat. That's all you could see from her perspective. There was a blue coat in front of her, there was a blue coat to the left of her, and a blue coat to the right of her. Now, I took the same camera, and I put it at my eye level. And you know what you could see from my eye level? The Macy's Day Parade. So Stephanie could have said, you know what? There is no Macy's Day Parade. When's the Macy's Day Parade going to start? They said there was going to be a parade, but there's not a parade. And she could have went on and on forever. And I could have said, Steph, it's all your perspective. Trust me, there is a parade. And that's exactly what God is saying to Job. And that's what he's saying to me, and he's what he's saying to you. Trust me, your perspective may be a blue coat, but there's actually a parade. And I can see the parade, and I am operating based upon the truth and reality of the parade, not based upon your false perception limited by your humanity. It's the same thing that Mary and Martha learned when their brother Lazarus died. Jesus' friend, really good friend, but all of them were. And Lazarus gets sick. He didn't just die, he got sick. He's sick for four days, and Jesus knew it, but he didn't do anything about it. And then when Lazarus died, he went to visit. And look at what happens in verse 32 of John 11. Mary approached Jesus, saw him, fell at his feet. Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would have still be alive. Do you hear the frustration in that? If you read the whole chapter, you know that Martha asked the same question just a few moments earlier. Jesus, where were you? If you'd just been here, you could have done something. He didn't have to die. He died because you didn't come. I don't understand what you're doing, Jesus. I mean, did anybody else give you a place to sleep like we did? Lazarus put his reputation on the line to be your friend. Why didn't you come? 
From my perspective, Jesus, what you are doing makes no sense at all. How could you be a loving God? How could you even be a good friend and not come? I mean, incredible frustration in what she expresses here and in verse 33. And when Jesus saw Mary's profound grief, right? That's how we know there was frustration. And moaning and weeping of all the people, her companions around her, he was deeply moved by their pain in his spirit. Now, what do you think is going to come next? He was deeply moved by their pain in his spirit. He cried. He patted them on the back. He prayed. What does it say? And he was intensely troubled. Some translations say he was grieved in his spirit. If you, if you read on, it says, and you can hear the anger in Jesus' voice. Where's the body? He doesn't say, I'm sorry, Mary. He doesn't say, Mary, trust me. He just says, where's the body? Tell, tell me where the body is. And so they take him to where the body is. And it says in verse 35, as they walked, Jesus did what? He wept. He cried. Why did he cry? Well, he certainly didn't cry because Lazarus was dead, because Jesus knew what he was about to do, which was raise him from the dead. He wasn't crying because he had lost one of his best friends. He wasn't crying because those around him were sad, because he knew in just a matter of moments they would be joyful. Why was he crying? He was crying because those around him didn't realize who he was. They didn't realize how big he was. Oh, they believed that Jesus could have, could have done something had he been there earlier and they actually believed that Jesus was going to do something in the future or at least that his father was in the resurrection of the dead but they didn't believe that Jesus could do anything in the situation they were in because it just seemed too big and Jesus wept and I can't help but wonder how many times he cries because of me because just like Mary I'm like Jesus why didn't you do this or why didn't you do that from my perspective it looks as if you have failed from my perspective it doesn't make any sense in what I am experiencing and Jesus wept he is trying to teach us through that frustration that we express that he's much bigger than we sometimes realize so we have to express it because it's in expressing our anger and our frustration that we actually learn and mature and grow to the point to when we do go through something there is no anger to express why because now we are trusting him the second thing i put in your notes is you then we have to discover god's promises in other words, we have to know, what does God say about the situation I'm in? What does he say about you losing your job? What does God have to say about the fact that you have less money than you do bills? What does God say about your dating relationship or your marriage or your parenting or your anger or your anxiety or your depression? What, what, does, what are the promises? We, we have to discover. We have to discover them. Now, in a moment, we're going to see what Jeremiah does. But hear me. What Jeremiah does is going to be birthed out of what he believes. And that's true for you and I as well. What we do comes out of what we believe. And, and so when I say discover his promises, what I, I, you could say, what do you believe? Do you know what you really believe? You are here today because of something you believe. You believe that God will do something maybe in your life or you believe that the girl that asked you to come will go out with you if you come to church with her. I, I don't know what it is you believe, but you are here because of something you believe, something you got you out of bed, out of the house, in a car, and it got you here. 
And the only thing that could have done that is a belief. So, so it's, it's what promises do we, do we believe? We have to discover that. When the blindfold comes on, how do we then operate? Well, look at what Jeremiah believed, okay? Now, remember, this is chapter 32. This is Jeremiah in prison, hungry, without much food, and the Babylonian army circled around them. Things were really bad. And what's Jeremiah say in chapter or in verse 17, oh, sovereign Lord, what does that mean? You're in control, God. <laughs> what? Why is the Babylonian army here if you're in control? Jeremiah says, even though I'm in prison, even though the Babylonian army is here, you are in control. Why? Because God, first of all, you had prophesied this very thing would happen. You made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand and powerful arm. Nothing is too hard for you, God. You show unfailing love to thousands, but you also bring the consequences of one generation's sin upon the next. You are the great and powerful God, the Lord of heaven's armies. There's no doubt about it. Jeremiah believes that God is sovereign, God is strong, God is powerful, God is loving. He both blesses and disciplines. God is great and God is powerful. That's what he says. But we also know, because if you've been at potential very long at all, there's this Jeremiah 29, 11 that we often talk about. Well, now I want you to see it in the context this is in the context of all the things we've learned about how difficult Jeremiah's life was. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not disaster. That's important. They're good. Even though Babylon, Babylon is all around me, yes, the plans I have are for you are good. That's not what I see in this moment. You have to trust me, Jeremiah. The plans are good, not for disaster, to give you a future, even though it doesn't look like it in this moment, and a hope. That's what Jeremiah believed. Now, it's going to impact what he does in a moment, but that's what he believed. And the reason he believed it is because God told him. God told him that this was going to happen, and now he sees it happen. And God does the same thing for his disciples in John 14. He tells them. Look what it says. It says, I've told you, talking to the disciples, this is Jesus, I've told you ahead of time, before it happens, Why? So that when it does happen, the confirmation will deepen your belief in me. In other words, what is Jesus telling? He's talked about his crucifixion, that he's going to leave. He's going to die. And on the third day, he'll be resurrected. And he tells them that there's going to be a blindfold placed upon them. And the only thing they're going to have to be able to live in that moment is the belief that he was telling the truth about the resurrection. He says, but so that you'll have confidence that I will resurrect, I'm telling you, first of all, that I'm going to die. I'm going away. That's what he says. He says, I will not leave you orphaned. I'm coming back. He says in verse 28, you've heard me tell you I'm going away, but I'm coming back. Now, Jesus did the same thing for you and I in John 16 and verse 33. It's in your outline. These are the words of Christ to you and me in 2017. I've told you all of this, all of these challenges. I've told you this so that trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured. Don't you want to be that? Unshakable and assured. What would get the attention of the folks you work with that you've been trying to tell them that Jesus is real? If you were unshakable, the market goes down by 700 points as it did, what, in 2008 or 9, and you're unshakable. Things around you look impossible, but you are assured. Not only that, he says, deeply at peace. 
As Christ followers, we're great at declaring we have peace when in reality the world knows we're lying. We're just as depressed and discouraged and anxious and worried as anybody else. We invite folks to come hang out with us down at the church, but in reality, they see us overwhelmed in discouragement at lunch where we work. Jesus says, hey, I'm telling you this. And the reason I'm telling you this is because I, I want you to have real peace. I don't want you to just have to say, I want it to be. And, 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 he, and, he, and, he, and he says, he says, in this godless world, you will continue to experience what? What's it say? You will continue to experience what? What? No, one more time. What? Difficulties. You will experience difficulties. What does that mean? You will get bad news from the doctor. That doesn't mean that God doesn't care and that God doesn't exist. Why? Because he has already told you that is going to happen. Your car will break down. The economy will go up, but it will also go down. People around you will make bad decisions. He is telling us. He says, I'm telling you ahead of time so that when it happens, you do not freak out. You do not wonder where I am. You do not doubt whether I exist. I'm telling you ahead of time, difficulties, because this is a fallen world, he says. This is not the world I created. This is not the world I'm going to come back and transform it into. This is the world that is. And in this world, you will face difficulties. But take heart. Why? Because I've already conquered the world. What's he say? I am still in control. I am still God. And what I desire to come about will come about. But you have to trust me. My perspective is different. I am not concerned about what's going on in North Korea. I'm not overwhelmed by what's going on in Russia. I am God. God of the stock market. God of the world. God of your health. God of your finances. I want you to be able, he says, to have that kind of confidence in me. Unshakable and assured. You know, as I was um, thinking about how we, we get blindfolded by these things that happen to us, and then we have to discover. And this is kind of the way I thought about discovering. What are we discovering? Well, the voice. Isn't that what I told him? Trust my voice. And you, as a Christ follower, have what? You have the Holy Spirit, right? You have the Word of God. What is God's Word? It's His voice. You read that, and that is God saying what? Watch the steps. Watch the steps. It could be in your sex life. It could be in your finances. It could be in your marriage. It could be in your parenting. It could be in your anger. It could be in your addiction. All of that is a voice, God's Word. But then you also have someone who's walking beside you and nudging you as a Christ follower. That's God's spirit, right? He nudges your heart. And he says, you know what? Don't do this. You need to go over there. Learn this. Listen to this. He reminds you, I'm, I'm with you. And then you have this line of people that are there to protect you. You have his church. Imperfect. But still here. That's, that's what he says. He says, yes, you can't see into the future. Just like wearing a blindfold. You can't see your way back to your seat. You can't. And the first reaction is to want to do what? When's the blindfold come off? When am I taking it off? I freeze until it comes off. He says, no, no, no. You, here's the third thing. Live by faith. It's the only way to get back to your seat. It's by faith. 
Oh, I told them there was a bunch of people standing here to catch them, but they couldn't see them. They had, to, they had what is faith? Well, Hebrews 11.1, 1, what does it say? What faith is. We'll come back to Jeremiah. But what, what does Hebrews 11.1 1 say faith is? Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us the assurance about the things we cannot see. Faith is the belief that while blindfolded, I hear the voice and believe that there are people there will catch me. I believe that the voice that I'm hearing loves me enough to give me good directions. That the tap on the shoulder is to truly help me. That's what maturing in Christ it is to live by faith. See, the, Jeremiah said all those things he believed. And then God came to him, chapter 32. He says, Jeremiah, one of your relatives is going to come. He's going to sell you some land. But I'm in prison. Yeah, but he's going to sell you some land. You know what land this relative was going to sell Jeremiah? It was outside the city gates. You know who was camping on that land? The Babylonians. God had already told Jeremiah that they would be held captive for 70 years, but that they would come back. And, and he says, Jeremiah, when your relative comes, I want you to buy it. And I can't go see it. I'm in prison. But even if he wasn't in prison, he couldn't go see it because the Babylonians, the most powerful nation in the world, was camping upon it. And yet God said, I want you to buy it. Have you ever found yourself in that position when what God is telling you seems impossible? How in the world will my marriage ever be reconciled? This is happening, and this is happening, and this isn't happening. How in the world will I ever launch that business? How in the world will I ever experience healing? How in the, I mean, it is impossible. And yet God says, no, no, trust me. Jeremiah had no reason to buy this land. He didn't have much money. And, and yet the scripture says in chapter 32, verse 9, so I what? <laughs> I bought it. I bought it. I did what God asked me to. Why, Jeremiah, did you buy it? For this is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. The God of Israel says, Someday people again will own property here in this land. They will buy and sell houses and vineyards and fields. Jeremiah bought it not based upon what he was able to see, but based upon what God had said. That's what God calls you to do. He calls me to operate not based upon what I see around me, but based upon what he has said to me. He is, and it's not a blind jump of faith. Any more than it was for them to go back with their blindfold. They had my voice. They had the, the touch of the person beside them. They had the protection of the people around the stage. God, and that's why we say to investigate. God has proven himself in multiple of ways and all kinds of, of different types of evidence remind us we can trust him question is is will you what 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 let me ask you this what's evidence of a christ follower what's it mean to be a christ follower? how do you know you are one what's the bible say how do i know i am one how do i know that we the bible says that it, it, it's our faith see all of scripture is about faith did you know that read it and think the word faith means belief and confidence Confidence, faith is the confidence that what we hope for is actually going to happen. So it's all based on faith. Why? Because what does God say gives evidence that we are Christ followers? Obedience. And all of obedience is what? An act of faith. 
It's an act of faith. We are obedient not because of what we can see with our eyes. We are obedient because of what God says in his word, how he speaks through his spirit, and how he teaches us or protects us from the people around us. It's a step of faith. If you live a sexually pure life, why? Why do you do that? Can you see what your relationship will be like next week? Can you see what your relationship will be like next year? No, no, no. But God says, I can see. And the best way for you to get to where you want to go is to live this kind of sexually uh, intimate life. Why why, did we tithe a few moments ago? If you gave, why did you give? I can tell you why I do. I can't see next week. I don't know if I'm going to get bad news from the doctor or if I'm going to win the lottery. Well, I'm probably not going to win the lottery. I first have to play. But Ed McMahon might show up at my house. Or his ghost. I don't know. Is he dead? I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I can't see. I can't see tomorrow. I can't see next. I do not know what's going to happen financially. I do not know if the money I just placed in that envelope would really be handy come next week. Or whether I'm going to have so much I wouldn't even notice it. But what I can't see, God says he can see. It's just like me telling the blindfolded person, trust me, I can get you back to your seat. I can see what you can't see. The only way he gets back is to trust me. Right? See, that's what God is always trying to do. He's trying to pull us in to his vision or his perspective. You see financial trouble. You see your inability to pay the bills. You see what is right in front of you. But God says, I want to pull you into abundance. Jesus said that I have come that you might have life and that you might have a what? Abundantly. But where is that abundance? Well, it's not in the now because you're not experiencing it in the now. So therefore, it must be in the future. And how do you get there? How do you get to the abundance that Jesus has promised? Well, you will either follow yourself or your best buddy or your spouse or someone in a book or up on television. Well, what does Jesus say about them? Well, he gave this illustration in Luke chapter 6. Look what it says. It's going to be there. I have faith. Then Jesus gave the following illustration. Can one blind person lead another? Because here's the reality. Your spouse can't see the future. Your spouse can't look into tomorrow. Your best friend can't. Neither can the author of the book you just read about how to become a millionaire. And so Jesus asks the question, can one blind person lead another? Well, they can try. But Jesus said, won't they both fall in the ditch? Right? I mean, it'd be like me putting on a blindfold myself and say, follow me back to your chair. And just because I have a convincing voice, You follow me. You know what's liable to happen? We're both liable to fall off the side of the stage. See, you and I have choices to make. And there are only two choices. You will live by faith. You will trust that God does care about you, does love you, and that you can one step at a time trust him and follow him, or you will follow another blind person, whether that's yourself or someone else. Those are the only two options that you have. That's what you're doing financially. That's what you're doing in your relationships. That's what you're doing in your profession. That's what you're doing in your career. We live in a culture that somehow we believe that being a Christ follower simply means I am one, and then we wait for God to zap us with everything I just said. 
Zap me with a good marriage. Zap me with great finances. Zap me with amazing health. Zap me with good kids. Zap me with the new business I want to start. I'm waiting for the banker to call me and tell me the law. And God says, follow me. I will lead you to the dream I put inside of your heart. But I'm the only one that can see into tomorrow. So I'm the only one who knows how to get there. And it's through my spirit and my word and my church that I will lead you to the dream I put inside of your heart. But you and I all have to decide. Am I going to follow him? Or am I going to follow the other blindfolded person? And I've noticed it in my life. It's one step at a time, right? It's like when God challenges, God says, I, I can see, I'm pulling you in. You see sickness, I'm pulling you into healing. You, you see brokenness, I'm pulling you into reconciliation. And it's one step. And it's like when I take that step and I realize, you know what? God knew what he's talking about. He was faithful. Now, if I never take that step, I never grow in my faith. And then he challenges me to take another, and I take another. You notice how cautious, cautioned they were at the beginning. The longer they would have been blindfolded to hear me and trust me and trust the tap on the shoulder and trust if they would have fell and been caught, eventually they would have walked with much greater pace. Not at first. Same thing is true spiritually. Some of us spend our whole life cautiously trying to decide whether we're going to trust him or not. You know, for me, there are still times when I get shook. There are still times when what is in front of me seems so real that I worry and struggle to follow him into the future. But my desire is to step by step and day by day grow in my confidence that he is God he is sovereign he is powerful he is loving he cares that's my hope for you as well would you bow your head Father I pray that what we've learned from Jeremiah will be an encouragement I pray that it will I pray God that we could trust what you see. I pray that rather than follow our blindfolded best step, that we would be able to follow the truth of your word in all areas of our lives and help the world to see that we are unshakable, that we are assured, not because of our greatness, but because of your faithfulness and our confidence. Like your word says, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. And therefore, we walk in that confidence. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right.